What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of Diary of a Mad Black Man. If you didn't know, my name is Blake. I'm also the pod father, and I'm the host and author of this diary and podcast. So today's episode, this diary entry, is going to flow a little different than some of my other episodes, um, simply because when I connected with Chris to actually do the recording of the, of the episode, I looked up, and we had already been talking for like 10, 15 minutes. Like, we were just like, hey, what's up? And then next thing I know, 15 minutes gone by, and we're talking about all this stuff that I wanted to talk about in the episode. So it was like, I'm just going to go ahead and push record, and I'm going to just let the conversation flow. Um, when I met Chris, um, we met at Podcast Movement. Um, for those of y'all that don't know, it's the largest podcast conference in the world. Like, I was a speaker there. I spoke on a stage sponsored by Facebook, and I was able to meet Chris, the guy who you guys are about to hear this episode with. Like, he was one of the featured keynote speakers, the same place that I met Charlemagne, I met Dolly Bishop, like, it was just, um, a huge, just mind-blowing, transformative, life-changing experience being a podcast movement, I feel like I could do, like, a little mini movie on my whole experience going there, and I gotta give a huge shout-out to my Afros and audio community, to Talib, to Latrice, to Africa, to everybody over there at Afros and Audio, like, you guys are my family, you guys are my rock, you guys are what keeps me going, you guys are what keep me encouraged. You guys are what has really helped to solidify um, and and help myself have that confidence as a creative because I really know that I'm a part of a community. I've been able to create a community through the Black Podcast Club as well. So shout out to all my club members, my OG club members as well. Uh, well, especially. Um, but yeah, y'all, like it, it's just really, really dope that I was able to do this episode. So um yeah, I'm going to shut up and I'm just going to get into this episode. Um, it really just starts as like a free flowing conversation um, between me and Chris. And um, yeah, the last thing I'm going to say before we get really dive into it is Chris, man, I'm so thankful and so grateful for you um, to have connected with you. You continue to inspire me. I still follow you on social media. I still see the work that you guys do um, and the content you guys are putting out. Some of the episodes I've even listened to um, from the content you guys have put out from your podcast is really dope. Um, and I want you guys to check that out as well. You guys can check the description box on how you guys can find more information about Chris and the episodes and, and podcasts and all the dope shit that he does. Um, but yeah, let, I'm, I'm going to just shut up and, and we're just going to get into it, y'all. So appreciate y'all for tuning in and let's go. Like, um, like yeah, that's, that's really what um, this season is about is just having just real honest, transparent conversations. Um, but also just having just like sharing dope stories, you know what I'm saying? Stories are just real life experiences, you know what I'm saying? And you bringing up the car situation, it's like, holy shit. Like it takes me back to, uh, to when we first met and, um, I'm actually moving on Friday. So like the car situation oh, wow. is something that recently has come back up. Um, something I've recently thought about cause it's like, oh yeah, I still have this car in the back of my house that, I now have to move, or actually I have to get it towed to my new apartment. I have to figure out what I'm going to do with it, you know what I'm saying? So the fact that you brought that up is kind of <laughs> interesting. So the, the saga continues. The saga definitely the saga definitely continues, man. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I want to, um, like I said, I think uh, this episode uh, with you is really just going to focus on, um, like, how we met. Um, I really want to learn more about you, your story, some of the things you've already shared with me, um, especially from the questionnaire, um, and, and really just go from there. Um, I think that that's uh, really going to help with just kind of 
showcasing like what I've been able to experience because I never thought that I would meet people like you. You know what I'm saying? And it's like before we met, it was kind of like I had this big idea of like what it would be like. And I met you. It's just like so humble, so cool. And it's like, oh, okay, it's really like one of my peers. It's another person who has similar experiences who may just be in a different position than me. So um, I, I really just want to say thank you for being on the podcast for real. Um, I appreciate you just taking the time out of your day, your time, and just being here for real and sharing your story. It's really dope. I appreciate it. Oh, no, you're welcome. And, and honestly, uh, you know, you saying that, and even when we first met, I'm just, you know, so humbled in, in how you look at me, to be completely honest. I, um, you know, I think like when we live our own lives, we don't necessarily know the impact that we have on people. And, and we don't necessarily know that we're making the impact on the world that we necessarily want to. And, you know, I, I actually was bragging, I bragged to a few people, you know, literally since we met back in August at Podcast Movement about how when you came up to me, I don't even remember how it came up, but you were just talking about just my first time out of the convention. And um, I got to meet Charlemagne. I really want to meet him. And I really want to meet you. And now I'm talking to you. And like, I don't know if you realize it, but in that moment, I was sitting there like, hold up, did he just put me on the same level as Charlemagne? Like, I, I never put myself on that pedestal. Like, that was incredible to, to hear someone want to be at a convention to be able to meet me in the same way they want to meet Charlemagne. You know, somebody who's obviously been been at the upper echelons of the media industry for a long time. So I'm just extremely humbled that that you, you know, wanted to talk to me, knew who, what my business was, and, you know, then wanted to have me on the show. So, no, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah. It really helps me to understand that I'm on the right track and to, to keep pushing forward with everything that we're, we've been doing. Man, you, you know what? Because it's like... I never thought that starting this podcast back in October of 2019 would lead me to do the things that I've done. So, like, even the whole experience of being at podcast movement and, like I said, meeting you and every way that I met Charlemagne and all these different people, um, I've learned that the podcast space is a relatively new space, um, but also relatively new space for black creatives. And I really like how... Um, there's a sense of community amongst us in this space of podcasting. And I think that that was a part of the connection as well. Um, Absolutely. But um, I kind of want to take it back for the people who may be listening um, and just tell us a little bit about, um, about what you do. Um, kind of just briefly introduce yourself um, and like who you are for, cause I mean, obviously I know, but I don't think anybody who's going to be listening to this is going to know. Of course. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'll do it in my, my best abridged version as possible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm, you know, Chris Colbert, I am the CEO of two different companies. And actually, when we first met, I don't know if I had the second company going, but I have a company called DCP Entertainment, which is a digital media company uh, that focuses a lot on podcasts, um, but also has digital video, who knows down the road might be more virtual reality, augmented reality, just basically wherever people are getting their content, especially in the digital space, we want to be a part of that. We want to be uh, leading movements in terms of you know, trying to be where technology is, but also leading movements in terms of this overarching umbrella that all of our content fits underneath. And that's underrepresented communities and conversations. So really focusing on authentic stories coming out of uh, communities of people of color, women, uh, you know, women-led uh, uh, shows or, you know, women-led kind of uh, initiatives when it comes to health and lifestyle but also LGBTQ+, people with disability, essentially these marginalized communities where yeah. either we've been pigeonholed in certain areas, like, hey, I'm a Black lesbian woman, so that means I have to talk about Black lesbian things. No, like you can be 
a great political commentator like Danielle Moody and happen to be part of those other communities. Right, and yeah. that representation is just as important, if not more than important, than just going out there and talking about the issues that everybody thinks that you have to talk about. So from a programming standpoint, that was the basis for starting DCP Entertainment, to give that real authentic um, kind of conversation that these communities can latch onto and also, again, see themselves within, even if it's not just specific to their you know, LGBTQ experience or dis disabled experience. And then we also have, I also have a company called uh, Podstream Studios, Times Square, uh, where we do a lot of our near faith content for DCP, but also it's an opportunity now for us to have like a, a much lower cost compared to other studios in Manhattan, a place where other podcasters, other influencers, people holding events can come and rent our space and be able to create captivating content in a customizable studio. So everything that I like to do with both of my companies is yes, self-serving because I'm an entrepreneur and I want to make sure that we make a bunch of money and I can retire at an early age. But at the same time, the thought process with everything I do is, well, how can I still service the overarching community that I'm now a part of, this media community or mm -hmm. this community of BIPOC creators? How can I be of service to them while I'm also trying to rise myself? And so we do that through, like I was mentioning, renting out our space to people, but also when it comes to DCP, we have a newsletter that we put out once a month that only highlights non-DCP shows that are BIPOC independent creators to help make sure that they get a level up. We try to cross promote uh, on our shows to help elevate other like-minded kind of programs because at the end of the day, we're a small company and even when we do get super big, I hope, even then we won't have enough resources to bring on every great show that's out there. So how can we elevate this space for everybody, especially because it's a digital space and you getting listeners on your podcast doesn't take away from me getting listeners on mine. Right. So yeah. how can we elevate everybody who's doing great work in this space? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I love about, uh, again, about podcasting because it's a lot of uh, collaboration that goes on, a lot of, like, I help you, you help me, we help each other at the same time. That mindset is very much mm -hmm. ingrained in the mind of podcasters that I've interacted with, especially in the podcast communities that I've been able to cultivate around myself. So um, it's dope to hear that you are like myself and a lot of other podcasters, especially black podcasters, who have created businesses behind this idea of helping each other and supporting each other, which I think is really dope. Um, yep. But also, I want to take it back a little bit. Like, where were you? Um, where were you from? And like, where did you grow up? And like, what was your childhood like? Like, describe that a little bit for me. Yeah. So I was I was technically born in Jersey. So I'm a, technically okay. a Jersey boy, but I only lived there for like 11 months of my life. So I was born in South Jersey, Willingboro area. Um, I was then uh, raised in the Baltimore suburb area, so Baltimore County, Hartford County. Most of my life growing up was in Hartford County in a town called Bel Air. So not. You know, Bel Air, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, out, okay. in, out in Hollywood area. So, so, so how far is that from uh, like Baltimore? <laughs> so from Baltimore, it's like a 20, 30-minute drive. Okay. Um, like right down I-95, you know, straight shot. And so a lot of people, even now, uh, commute to Baltimore from uh, that area of, of Bel Air, Edgewood, Abingdon area. And so I spent most of my childhood there. And it's a white suburb um, outside of Baltimore and the county above us is I believe Cecil County. And that is a, a hotbed for the KKK, white supremacy. Like we take in Mar we take that Mason Dix line very seriously in Maryland. And I say we, but like the white people take it very seriously. Mm -hmm. um, so I, you know, though I didn't grow up in the, like the South South, like you are, you are down in Atlanta. Like I had a lot of elements of racism growing up mixed with, you know, racial identity issues because I'm you know, one of the few black people in my neighborhood. So 
feeling too white to, to be around the black people in Baltimore City when I go fam uh, visit my family out there, but also feeling too black to hang around necessarily with all the white people where I was growing up. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, I felt as an other, even though I'm an extrovert, have tons of friends, but growing up, I always felt very lonely, even though, like I just mentioned, I had tons of friends. I just felt like no one had the same life experience that I did. No one could truly relate. So I never truly opened myself up to people the way that I now do as an adult. And now that I'm living in New York, more of a multicultural kind of friend community. Mm. And so growing up, though I had some multicultural friends, it, it wasn't it didn't feel as freeing to be as open as we are now about the experiences of being black and feeling marginalized because you'd get hit with that. You know, now we have a term for it, but like you're getting hit with that gaslighting of, Oh no, it's not that bad. No, you're not experiencing racism. Right, right, yeah. No, I, I, I grew up with coming home and there being a letter in our mail. I think I was in fourth grade. There was a letter in the mail that said, nigger go home. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, yeah, there was, and I knew there was a skinhead that lived behind my house. So I'm like, is it that guy? If I go out at night, is something going to happen to me? Um, the high school I went to was a private high school. I remember the senior year that we were going to graduate. I have a friend who unfortunately now has passed away, but uh, during that school year, he got kicked out of school his senior year, literally, I think like a month before graduating, got kicked out over hearsay over having marijuana in his locker. Mind really? you, there were two uh, white students who wrote so-and-so's a nigger lover in the bathroom, graffitied the bathroom, so-and-so's a nigger lover, and they got suspended for maybe two days. So wow. it's like, that's the kind of area that I was growing up in where you don't necessarily have anywhere to go as a black person. We have a, a small enclave of black individuals. We had, you know, had our black AME church that we'd go to. We had that camaraderie. Mm -hmm. But once you're back out into the regular world, it's not Sunday anymore. You're at school, what have you, you know, you feel kind of lonely. And so that was a, a big part of my existence growing up was that racial identity issues and, and also just the, the racism that I was growing up with. And what, what year did you graduate high school? Uh, graduated in 2003. Okay, so yeah, so I knew you weren't that much. Yeah, I graduated in 2008. So um, I think something that a lot of people um, in this day and age think that, you know, these experiences of racism and prejudice and blatant racism and prejudice that ex that go on in these smaller towns and smaller communities and suburb areas, um, I find that a lot of people think that this stuff, like, existed, like, 50, 60 years ago, and they don't understand that this stuff still hmm happens like this stuff is happening today in present day era like as in like 10 15 20 current times you know what i'm saying because 2003 2008 wasn't that long ago you know what i'm saying so it's just very crazy to think that um these are the kind of things that we're still experiencing today even like most recently with like a lot of the things with george floyd and all these just uprisings and necessary uprisings i'll say because it's just time out for a lot of that stuff. And it's just crazy to know that we're still living in an era where these are our experiences and our stories. Um, oh yeah. And, and to take it one step further, I, I remember, you know, growing up and, you know, I'm now about to go to college. I went to school at Seton Hall university. So in North Jersey. So I'm now coming okay. from the Baltimore suburbs going to North Jersey. And my mom told me, she's like, you're going to enjoy it so much more up there because she didn't realize the racist area that she was bringing me to when I was 11 months old. She went to Maryland just thinking, oh, this is just like where I was growing up in South Jersey, multicultural, mm. you know, very tolerant. Um, but she got to experience it firsthand where, where I think when we first moved down there, she tried to take me to a kinder care uh, facility, you know, one of these chain kindergarten preschool kind of situations. And they had tons of room and she called because, you know, she has, a, her name's Maria. She has a white sounding kind of voice. 
Um, and so like, yeah, we have tons of space. And the second that we get there, they're like, oh no, who told you that? We don't have any space available. And she looks around and it's all just white kids. Um, so oh, I say wow. that to set up that when I finally went to college, she tells me, she's like, it's gonna be a different world. You're gonna get up there and you're not gonna experience some of these things that you were experiencing here. And she was right. When I got there, I wasn't experiencing those same issues of racism, but also the black people I was meeting didn't believe the racism I grew up with. They're like, oh no, that stuff, yeah. stuff doesn't happen again. So it was so weird in like 2003 to 2007 when I was in college to interact with other black people that were only you know within a three hour range of where I grew up, you know, driving wise, they didn't even realize that racism was happening on that level. And you know, I'm talking about my experiences, I'm sure it's even worse you know, the further south you go. So yeah. the things that I was dealing with and trying to tell them about, they couldn't believe that, let alone the atrocities that you know, we're now starting to see even more now with video cameras and things like that. So yeah, it, it's, it's very interesting to see where we are now, but I'm, I'm glad to see that there's more transparency into what's happening. It, it sucks mm -hmm. to see if this continuing to happen, but at least we have now transparency to be able to at least be able to have, you know, at least not be gaslit as we're trying to fight and be able to exactly. get, you know, the equality that we need in these kind of spaces. Yeah, and I, I think that's uh, also the beauty in podcasting. You know, I think being able to create our own platforms and tell our own stories, share our true and authentic experiences also helps to add to the media landscape of what we see right now. We don't necessarily have these one, like, mainstream media sources um telling the story or painting the narrative we have more of us telling our stories and our experiences you know what i'm saying so i do appreciate you you know you sharing some things about your childhood and and how you grew up because you know this is really a part of um what this podcast is and what i've done with podcasting is part of how i've been able to meet you because i'm just sharing like my life experience especially when it comes to like mental health and how you know, experiences of racism, you know, have impacted me and other things, you know, trauma and things like that. We've grown up and experienced it all influences who we are as adults. Um, so I appreciate you saying that once again. Um, and I do want to kind of get into that more because um, you did share some things with um, with me already about mental health. So, like, um, as you grew up and, you know, you went through college, um, what did what did you experience like with mental health and when did it first become like a thing to you? Do you remember that moment? So, you know, I think the thing that really made mental health like a, an initiative for me in terms of like what I want to do with my life and what I want to do with the kind of content that we create, like everything, you know, I mentioned with DCP, we service these underrepresented communities, but the other part of what DCP does, we service what I like to call underrepresented conversations. And I find that mental health is very much in that landscape yeah. of underrepresented conversations, especially for people of color. Like it is very much and it's getting better, but it is very much a taboo subject within our families and things like that. You don't want to be labeled the crazy uncle or, you know, right. uh, you just, yeah, you don't want to be seen as, as having flaws because there's so many things against us. Like we can't show weakness, especially as black men, it's ingrained in us. I literally, as a child, it was beaten out of me, not to cry. Like my stepfather, if I, you know, if he beat me and then I cried, it's like, well, I'll give you something to cry about. And I know that's right. an experience that a lot of us have. And a lot of that comes from that you know what's passed down from us through generational trauma of not being able to show weakness because if we do that puts us in even more of a tough situation um but anyway back to you know the yeah. my childhood and, and kind of manifesting um you know understanding what my mission can be around mental health i don't think i necessarily i don't think i necessarily recognize my own mental health issues until probably my 30s like my early 30s mm. late 20s um, but there were certain things that happened early in life that now looking back, I realized, uh, I now realize the trauma that was there. So 
I was mentioning before with like the, the racism and also the racial identity. That was a trauma that I didn't necessarily think of. I just thought that was just growing up is how everybody grows up. Um, so that's one piece of trauma, which again, made me feel very lonely and outcast. Um, at the same time, I didn't realize until my thirties talking to family and then finally divulging certain things to me. Cause a lot of times we keep these family secrets to try to keep people safe. Right, I have a yeah. family history of depression. I didn't know that growing up, but depression runs very rampant in my, in my family. And I now know this and my my family had kept it from me because they were afraid that, oh, if, if we let this next generation know about the depression, maybe that's what's going to create the depression. Knowing about the depression they were afraid would create it. Where, you know, at least I now better understand, having worked in this space a lot more, that by not being honest about those things, yeah. it's a detriment because now I don't understand what's going on with me. I feel alone that I'm the only one feeling this or that, um, that this is just strange and, and you know, there's no one to talk to about. So now in hindsight, I'm trying to hopefully with my generation, my brothers, my sisters, my cousin, and moving forward, let's speak more openly about these things so that we don't feel so alone and we can learn from each other. But yeah, yeah I literally have a chemical imbalance of family, family uh, depression and mine manifests as what's called dysthymia. Dysthymia is like a long-term depression. Um, it's not a very common term, so I think I always have to explain this to, to folks, but it's like... No, it's good. My I, depression, I appreciate you sharing that, too. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, depression that most people think about, you know, these kind of acute situations where you wake up and you're like, I can't get out of bed. I can't get out of the dark. And it might last for like a week. It might even last for a month, but dysthymia lasts for years. So I, I'm currently kind of in one of my uh, dysthymia kind of modes, one of my... Uh, Kind of depression modes where it's been going for the last two years and i've had it last up to three years and what the feeling really is for me i can still operate and be around people i can still be the extrovert that i am but it takes so much more energy out of it um and i i now recognize in myself when i'm starting to get into that dysthymia pattern because i'll i'll kind of say this mantra in my head it's not a good mantra but it's this mantra in my head of i'm so exhausted or i'm tired of life and it's not necessarily that I'm, I'm you know, suicidal in the moment. It's just that if I happen to die, whew, thank goodness, uh, this has been a long ride. I'm, I'm ready to let it go. Yeah. And like, yeah. that's how dysthymia kind of manifests itself in me in terms of like, all right, well, I'm going to keep working hard, but I can't wait for this to be over because I, I, you know, I can't keep this on my shoulders anymore. And so I think part of it is that chemical imbalance. And then part of it is just life experience of just trying to shoulder a lot, whether it be through family, being an entrepreneur, you know, there's just all these different factors that then play into that. But yeah, for me, um, that dysthymia is something that I deal with on a day to day. Um, and when I was 12 or 13, just because I was mentioning the kind of suicidal ideation, mm -hmm. you know, when I'm saying, hey, I'm, I'm so tired for me now, that is not a suicidal kind of ideation. But when I was younger, I did try to take my life uh, when I was about uh, 12 or 13 years old because I mm -hmm. felt so alone because the racial aspects, because I felt so alone because I was feeling this depression. I didn't have a word for it. I was feeling this dysthymia, but didn't know anybody else who had it or to help me understand it. I felt very much alone and felt like I was a burden on my family at the same time. And so I felt that by taking my life, I was actually going to help the family. I even literally wrote all these uh, uh, specialized letters to my mother, to my grandmother, to some friends, literally like saying why I took my life. And then also being like, well, hey, you're going to be so much better off now. This is one less mouth to feed. This is you know, one, you know, you can sell this, you can sell that. Um, and it's not like we were in any super financial, mm -hmm. you know, straits. We were probably lower middle class, you know, regular middle class at that. Um, but we weren't impoverished. So it wasn't like, yeah, hey, I have to sell stuff so we can eat. But 
the way it just manifested to me, it just felt like I was more of a burden. And so by taking my life, I was helping everybody else out. Um, And luckily I was, you know, when I did try to do it, I wasn't able to be successful, but it then allowed me to take a step back and realize, okay, I wasn't supposed to take my life. I'm here for a greater purpose. And now having been through all these things in life, I also, by the age of 22, I think I had, I had lost 10 people to death, um, all by different ways, AIDS, suicide, uh, heart attack, uh, car accident, drunk driver, like any way you can think of somebody dying and most of which being men under the age of 40. So like my life expectancy in my head wasn't even that long um being as, as another black man and so all these things i think manifested itself to feeling like okay when this is done whew, thank goodness but while i'm here you know let me try to now you know this is now me talking about past you know getting past that kind of suicidal aspect this is when i realized that i've been through so much as an individual um and i haven't even touched on all the things but i've been through so much as yeah. an individual that I can now use my personal trauma to relate to others. Mm-hmm. And as I was saying with my own family, trying to talk more open and honestly, I can do that with other individuals. Even I meet people at bars and next thing you know, we're in this deep conversation. Um, yeah. It's kind of also how we met each mm-hmm. other. So it's like, I, I like to utilize the phrase of like, how can you turn your trauma into your purpose? And that's really what I try to do in my, my daily life. Um, but then to go back and just fully answer your real question, which yeah, is like, yeah. when did I really start to like jump on mental health is something I really want to champion. It was when uh, my, my cousin has schizophrenia. I have a cousin who was diagnosed with schizophrenia when I was in my 20s. And in like the last 10 years or so, he's been in and out of homelessness. He just disappears at times. I, I would love to care for him personally, but I don't have the resources or the means to be able to do so. And so mm. really championing mental health started because I wanted to find a way to help him without being able to directly help him. And it started with the schizophrenia aspect. And that's when I then learned later about family depression and my dysthymia. And I also now have PTSD from a situation we'll probably get into as well. Mm-hmm. So it's like, by first recognizing it in a family member, the schizophrenia in him, it allowed me to be more critical of myself and, and how things are manifesting in me um, so I can then, again, make my trauma my life's purpose. Yeah, wow. That's, yeah, first of all, thank you for being so vulnerable and transparent with, like, your life and your story because I think that um, this is a part of the beauty of what we're creating, what we're doing, which is being able to share our stories and kind of the things that we've been through, because you've also been able to do a lot of really dope and great things with um, your story and with the platforms that you've created. Um, one of the things that I've actually been um, following that you've been creating is, uh, is the say their, is this the say their name series? Um, yep. Say their name. We, we actually just today uh, learned that we won uh, the people's voice Webby award. So oh, you guys actually row, won award winning. Are you serious? Yes, sir. Oh, wow. Yes, Congratulations. Sir. Oh, that's so dope. Like, wow. So, Thank you. um, wow. That's really freaking dope, man. Like, tell us about, about that. Like just explain for the audience. Cause like now I'm kind of like having kind of like a fan <laughs> out moment, like, holy shit. And you just said that on my podcast, but like, um, oh yeah, yeah. This is the first place I'm saying it, so yeah, you, you oh, get the shit. exclusive here. Oh wow, this is dope. So yeah, so t- tell us about like let let the people know what that is. Yeah, so say their name. This is our second season of say their name, and we're going to be doing future seasons, and it might take a little different iteration as we move forward. But the whole basis for why we started this podcast is that we were just seeing, and this is before the George Floyd situation. This is like uh, 2019, and. Sorry, let me back up a little bit further. So I started my career at SiriusXM Radio. I was there for 11 years and I worked uh, with Adele Coleman, who's now my chief content officer, my chief operations officer for DCP. 
she was like my number two in command when we were back at Sirius XM. And while we were there, we tried to start a series called Say Their Name. It, you know, for various reasons, we just weren't able to make it happen. But the idea was that we kept seeing these incidents of police violence against Black unarmed individuals. And we saw two things happening every time that there was reporting happening on them. One, we were never talking about who they were as individuals. Like, what was their sense of humor like? What was their, you know, career aspiration? What was the life trajectory that they were on? Like, what is lost without having them here anymore? We focus so much on the tragedy that we sometimes forget about to talk about the individual and memorialize them. And so that was the, the that's the first thing that we do with our Say Their Name series. It comes in two parts for each individual that we focus on. And so the first part is about who were they? What was their sense of humor? What's their family dynamic? What's their family history? Um, and then that second part, and that part that we also saw wasn't focused on enough, what's that ongoing battle for justice? Some of these families have been fighting for 20 plus years. Some of them might be new into it, but we yeah. only focus on that immediate, hey, did the officer get charged? Or did the family win a settlement? Or you know, win a, uh, a civil case or get a settlement? But like once those things happen or once we hear, oh, okay, that's not gonna happen for another year or two, we move on to the next thing. And part of that is just because we can only take on so much. Like these incidents are happening so yeah, often, it's yeah. hard to keep up with yeah. them. And so I'm not faulting us as individuals, but as a media outlet who can control our content, we can be part of this memorialization of these individuals and also part of this storytelling and journalism that can help the, the, the families themselves and also the communities that they live in talk about what it is that they're going through on a day-to-day -day basis, that ongoing trauma that they face. And also help us just to better understand how these situations play out because unfortunately they keep happening. And so there's going to be yeah. somebody who's listened to our podcast one day who eventually finds themselves in this situation. So hopefully by listening to our podcast, they know what they're up against and yeah. also know some of the resources that are available to them. Because we always want to make sure there's something actionable and there's some kind of call to action for our audience to help this particular family, but also in understanding how we can help change laws to get more accountability and things like that. So that's the quick version I can give you of what yeah. Say Their Name is. And, you know, we've, uh, like I said, two seasons in, we've now focused on, I think it's now like about 20 different families we've highlighted. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And in future seasons, what we're working on, um, just to give you a little bit of behind the scenes, we do want to continue helping tell these stories of these individuals and of these families. But we've also been working with these families on how can we create truly tangible resources to help them and help others who find themselves in a situation. How can you find the right kind of therapy? How can you find the right lawyer? Yeah. How can you get media training to know what you can and can't say uh, right. you know, in the public light? Because if you say too much, you could hurt your case. But if you say too little, no one's gonna push for the DA to continue to, to investigate right. your case. So it's like all these things we've learned by talking to these families and these families have brought us into their lives I literally have family members who text me and call me to make sure I'm okay. And it's like, I should be texting and calling y'all, but yeah. like, they are just so giving, like this has opened up a whole new family, a whole new community for me, for Adele Coleman, my co-host and our whole DCP team. So I know it was more than what you were asking no, for, really but dope. yeah, say their no. name is, uh, is yeah, this, this mission that we've been working on and we've been very privileged to have gotten some awards on it. Um, and actually, even though we didn't win uh, this other award two years ago, we actually were also nominated for Podcast of the Year um, a year ago uh, when it came to Say Their Name. So we've, we've had some pretty nice accolades and some nominations over these last That's couple dope. years. That's dope, man. I think that um, that's just a beautiful thing because not only is it award winning, but it's um, actually 
pushing a powerful mission. It's like achieving greatness. Like it's like really sharing authentic stories, stories that need to be told. Like like how you said, like a lot of times, unfortunately, these things happen so much people can't keep up with it. But it's good that you're kind of um, shedding more light and going more in depth with these families and like what they're experiencing and the ongoing traumas because that's important for people to understand because there are people that are also dealing with that too who may not have had the media attention or um, awareness that you know some of these other cases have and it's important that we continue to cultivate these kind of conversations to all help each other so we can also um, begin to create things that help us in these moments and also prevent these moments from happening as well Um, because unfortunately we're still experiencing them but we do need to be able to come together to heal through the process of dealing with these types of things so I think that's really dope Chris like thank you that's really cool Thank you, man. And that's, and that's where I was, you know, talking earlier about my life's purpose. Like, I think that's one of those areas where because of the trauma that I've experienced, because of the trauma that Adele, my co-host, has experienced, like, she unfortunately lost her mother to uh, a, a domestic violence situation. Oh, so it's wow. not the same thing, but, like, to lose somebody so tragically mm-hmm. that's so close to you, it allows us to be able to to have the we, – we take care of the people that we interview. Yeah, like, we we're empathize. Not, Yes, they have perfect word. Like we, we are very good at empathizing with these individuals because we know a little bit of that feeling that they're going through. And so, again, like I feel like we're in the right place at the right time to be able to help tell these stories and, and help give these families a platform. Yeah, that's really dope, man. Like, wow, I'm just like super thankful that like I've even had the opportunity to sit down and have a really in-depth conversation with you, um, especially here on my podcast. I think that um, season seven is... Uh, unfortunately one of the last seasons that i'm gonna be doing um for this podcast right now i'm getting into some other things um but i'm excited to also just really go grow and evolve as a creative and um i know that we're gonna definitely be in touch and do um things together again in the future um are you going to podcast moving again this year i haven't really kind of even tapped into that realm of even looking at it again but is that something that's kind of on your radar yeah, it's funny you ask that because if you would ask me, <clears throat> if you would have asked me like a week ago, I probably would have said no. But then I just got hit up the other day about speaking on a panel there. Um, so I, it, it's looking more and more like I'll be down in Dallas for podcast movement. Mm, it's in Dallas this year. Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah, down in Dallas, which also is a good thing too. I think, you know, uh, that's the, the beauty of like how. conventions move around it allows you to meet with some people that you know in each area so like right. I, there's a bunch of people from dallas that i haven't gotten to meet in person yet so i think you know that'll be really great because there's just a different energy when you get to meet in person yeah, again most much like when we got to meet you know down at podcast movement in nashville i think you know meeting face to face allowed us to go more in depth mm-hmm. on the things that we see in this industry on just you know getting to relate as human beings in a way that we wouldn't necessarily if we had just met digitally i don't know if we would have got in depth on the mental health side as we did um, if we weren't just in that same room together. Yeah, most definitely. And so, yeah, that's that's what I like about being able to travel around and go to these different cities. Oh, yeah, and, and, and the being able to travel on, like, and, and doing podcast stuff, like, I feel like it's like podcast touring in a way. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it's just, it makes it more real, you know what I'm saying? It makes me actually know that I'm doing something that's not just on my phone or on the Internet somewhere, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is actually... I'm actually creating something, creating a movement, creating a voice, in, or I guess I don't know how to say it, like creating my, leaving my voice in the world or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just really yeah. dope to actually have experiences outside of something that I did really just 
create on my phone and on the internet. So, um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, and you, and you said it at the beginning of this, like the, the, especially that podcast movement where we first met, like it was a great camaraderie of, especially with black creators. Like yeah. I remember yeah. walking around to everybody's different panels to help support each other. Like I had this crew of, and it was mainly women, like a crew of like, you know, we were yeah. like rolling 10 yeah, to each panel. And, you know, I, I come from a black female entrepreneur. My sister is also an, an entrepreneur. So like, I feel my most comfortable to be honest around black women entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. but then also to see people like yourself and others that not only are creating dope stuff, but also, again, like I was kind of mentioning before that also know about us and hold us in a regard helps me to, I think it's important, yes, to give critiques to people and let them know how they can improve, but it's also good when you give them that those pats on the back because now it's like, okay, don't change the good things that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's also the other positive of being, being around you, being around these other black creators at these conventions, it allows you to understand, okay, yes, there's certain things that we can always fine tune, but these things don't change that because it is resonating with people. And we don't always know that we're only operating in our own silos of friends and family and being out of these conventions help us to, to, you know, find others who are doing similar things, but also, again, gives you that, that pat on the back to let you know, hey, keep doing what you're doing, which right. I want to say to you, like, I know you're, you know, changing things with the last season, uh, you know, with this podcast, but at the same time, I think you're on, you've been on the right track, and now as this evolves into the next iteration of what you're going to do, um, I think you're going to be able to, to cultivate these amazing conversations into a different way that's going to, you know, maybe resonate in the way that you truly want it to resonate because everything has to shift at a certain point. You can't just do the same thing over and over. So, yeah, seven seasons doing doing this is great, but now it's on to the next big thing. So yeah, I'm, I'm really happy for you. Most definitely. Yeah, and, and I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Um, once again, um, man, and those of you listening, um, check out the description box to this episode uh, where you can find more information about Chris and what he does and all the dope creative things that he's doing. Um, of course, you know um, what to do. Same thing here with me. Um, check the description box and how you connect with me more. Um, any last words, comments, things for the people listening you want to say, Chris, before we close out? Uh, only thing I'll say is, you know, I, I hope all of you have a, it, it's a, a nice luxury to have, but I hope you give yourself some time to be able to take a step back and, you know, analyze your own life, see, you know, where there may be traumas and things that you need to explore safely, you know, with a professional yeah. if need be, yeah. but you know, take a stock of your own life and just understand it's just sometimes we have to slow down to be able to do that. And that's not always a luxury that all of us have. But mm -hmm. uh, if you have it, please take a step back, take a look at your life. And then if you're able to take it one step further and, and see, okay, th that trauma that I've been through, how can I use that to empower others? How can I use that to help others? Um, or even just help yourself. That's, you know, yeah. that's also a, a blessing in itself. So I think that's the way where I'd like to leave it um, for, for me is just you know, take that time, slow down, and uh, try to create a better life for yourself and those around you. All right. Appreciate you, Chris, man. That's really dope. Um, I think that's the perfect way to close out. Um, once again, y'all, thank y'all for tuning in to another great diary entry here on Diary of a Mad Black Man. My name is Blake, the host, and we are out. You guys be blessed and be safe. Take care.